and welcome into the Soccer OG. That's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 12. As I always like to gently remind you every week, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Clearly, these uh, reminders have been working, coming off the week of the most downloads to date. Thank you for your support. Your support lifts my efforts so I can produce a good product. But please subscribe, tell a friend, and we will grow together as we head into what's going to be a spectacular summer of soccer, football, football, football. This week in the business end, I'll be joined by George Metellus. Many of you will know George from B in Sports, where he does an incredible job as one of the anchors. He was there for the final match day of La Liga. We'll talk about that and Atletico Madrid and Luis Suarez. We'll talk about La Liga heading over to ESPN. We'll also talk about Lille winning in France and what is going on in South America. COVID is got clouds all over the continent and record cases and football is still going on. We'll talk about the Copa America. Another adjustment to that tournament, which will feature some of the biggest players in the world. In stoppage time, I am going to put a bow on a season like no other in Europe. History will be kind to this season. We saw things we've never seen prior. This is the Soccer OG. We are gonna get it going right now. We're back here on the Soccer OG. It is time for the business end. I am looking for opponents, challenges all over the country all over the world, really, at some point. And a man who is a citizen of the world's game on the world stage, George Metellus, who works for BN Sports, covers La Liga, covers uh, a tremendous amount of leagues. And I've been had a chance to spend some time with George when I go down to Miami Media Pro to cover the Copa Libertadores. He's usually in the booth next to me. I hear him screaming goal. He hears me screaming. It's it's crazy. That's but yeah. people don't people don't understand. I go, what are you what do you go there? Well, there's like 20 VO booths, and there's like eight guys calling a game in English. There's a bunch of guys calling it in Spanish, and there's a bunch of guys in Portuguese. They come, they call the game, and they leave. It's true. It's true. <laughs> That's true. And they all, but we all have fun doing it. That's the thing. It's it's such a great tournament. That in Sudamericana, it's fun. Yeah. So it's too bad there's no fans in the stands. I would make it more intense. Yeah. I know, I know. But it's it's crazy. I, I would walk in. I go, hey, what game have you got? Oh, I got Union La Calera, Vela Sarsfield. What about you? Oh, mm-hmm. I've got uh, Flamengo and Liga de Quito. It's uh, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, hey man, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And you have such a, a, a you have such an interesting perspective of this game. And we'll start with. La Liga, being sports. I want to talk about being being sports a little bit later uh, here in the business end because, as we all know, Spanish League will be going to ESPN next season. And being sports, and I've said this on Twitter many times, and the group of people that uh, cover it there do a fantastic job, and they give La Liga every opportunity to shine with its coverage. I'll also say, uh, George, it's a place where a lot of young talent has come out of like yourself as I'm an old man compared to all you guys, where you guys get to tackle the sports and grow and ideally maybe move to the ESPNs of the world, to the greener pastures. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're about the same age, so don't make it no sound way. like you no oh, way. look, hey. no way. Well, you look a lot <laughs> younger than I do. Oh, it's because I'm, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. That's what my brother tells me all the time. So you look younger <laughs> than me. My younger brother has is what married with kids and I look younger than him. And he's like, oh, because George, you don't have no wife or kids. But um, that'll do it for, to you. Yeah, that's for a different podcast there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it comes to that, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a network that allows us to be to have our own personality. It's and, and Max, you know, this growing up in Dade County in, in, in South Florida. When you work in South Florida, everything is going to be more relaxed, even television. So it's important to get the information out, obviously. But we can the our supervisors, our bosses don't mind if we're going to if we crack a joke here and there, as long as we're not trying to be, you know, Dave Chappelle or somebody, some stand up comedian, obviously. But uh, we can be ourselves. We can laugh. We can joke as long as we get the information out and we do it in a way that uh, is is professional and entertaining at the same time. So. We, we're not kind of limited to being the traditional 
uh, style of, of football broadcasting or football presentation. And, and I think that's, that's changing the industry a little bit. So we'll see, we'll see how well, how much it catches on. Well, I did that at Fox and I enjoyed it where I was allowed to express myself. And then I went to ESPN and you realize that this is, a, there's a certain way you do it. And I get it. And there is a, a decorum and so forth. But I always was a believer. We want to have fun. We want to be in these places yeah. where we are. We're having fun watching these games and we want to pass that on. So if there's a good balance and who knows what the right balance is, maybe we haven't figured it out, but at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember watching you guys at Fox and one of my former colleagues, Jeremy St. Louis was, he's, right. he was a, he's yeah, he's a very fun guy, open, honest. He, he likes to crack jokes, has a great sense of humor. So he brought that energy to be in. And then all of us with our kind of our personalities made it mesh and work together like that as well. And like you said, look, we have to get the information out. You have to find the balance. But also, we're still entertainers in some way. You know, sure. people don't want to be bored watching a soccer game. That's why someone like Ray Hudson yep. is so And it's allowed to shine there where he yes. probably wouldn't in other places. I think I'd be a lot of people would say, I can't. We're not touching that's not how we do it. He wouldn't be doing it. And now he has become a sensation where, yes. you know, he's got a huge following because people enjoy it. Yes. Yes. And, and with all the metaphors and all the, the funny things he says, if you actually listen to the whole game, he actually breaks it down with some tactical knowledge and knowledge of the game as well. It's just people remember, you know, tighter than spandex on South Beach. You know, that's that's what they remember. Sometimes I remember <laughs> that too. But uh, if you sit to the whole thing, he actually does some actual analysis that's really, really deep as well. You know, when I was at Fox, this must have been 1998, 99, maybe a little later. And I covered the Argentine League. And uh, it would be uh, every weekend. And then someone from... I think it was, D, no, it was DC United. Hey, would you have time to call, talk to our coach, Ray Hudson? I go, yeah, yeah. So scouting wasn't really developed. I was all excited. And Ray called me because he knew I, I had the games and he asked me questions about a couple players. Like I was a scout. He goes, what do you think about this guy? I go, really good, technical, can trap a ball, fast, gets out wide, puts in. A, and he goes, all right, he's taking all these notes. And I think they signed one of the guys. So I was like, it was a, a real thrill for a young broadcaster at the time. I, I, I always see when I see Ray, I always tell him that you remember that that was that was absolutely thrilling. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, look, sometimes us as broadcasters, we see so many games that it's true. we it, in, in a way we are better scouts than whoever they hire in their scouting department because we see so many games and we're a little more neutral in terms of how we view them and, and their skills where a scout might go, well, this guy, I like this guy. Well, maybe you only seen him a couple times and what you did see was good. But if you didn't see him over the course of a season, you didn't you didn't get the full picture. So uh, that's valuable knowledge. It's valuable knowledge that we have sometimes when we do a lot of games broadcasting. I think I got a little side hustle developing here. We can there you go. <laughs> announcer yeah. slash South American scout if you need it. <laughs> We're going to make some money, man. We're There you but, go. Well, let's, let's invested in Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Bitcoin took a hit. I, I looked at my what's going on. I got in there very yeah. late. Now I'm like kind of flatlining. Well, let's talk about the weekend because obviously it was very emotional for a variety of reasons. We'll get into uh, Spain coming down. It was the most compelling race. Talked about it here on the podcast. You had Atletico Madrid who have led it almost from pillar to post. Mm -hmm. They would end up getting the trophy the first since 2014. Barcelona falling apart late, which is part of the story. Real Madrid weren't really impressive, but they got the results with the exception of a tie to Sevilla in the run. And they did come back over the weekend to beat Villarreal. But Atletico Madrid went out and uh, really secured it, winning unbeaten in their last five, including the, to me, the result that probably put them over the top when they went to uh, Barcelona and got a point uh, in that big weekend where all of those top four teams were playing each other. So much to to soak up in here. Obviously, Diego Simeone, who said a lot, George, about the importance of winning this year. And it wasn't a banner year in Spain. Barcelona, certainly not Real Madrid, playing at the levels that we are accustomed yeah. in league play. And that opened up an opportunity for Atletico Madrid, and they took it. Uh, Atletico playing a different style. Not so much the... Uh, the uh, uncompromising defensive ways of Diego Simeone and they adapted new guys came up and obviously the Luis Suarez signing, who was, you know, 
essentially kicked to the curb by Barcelona and he revitalized the season. And I think one of the, uh, the, the moments, if not the moment of the weekend, and it was the final round in most of the European leagues, if not all of them, the, the Luis Suarez talking to his family on the phone in tears, uh, overwhelmed. And I was watching your broadcast when you do it. And, uh, and I, and I I'd like to say something about Luis Suarez. This is a guy who's made a lot of mistakes in his career. The biting incidents, uh, moments of, uh, of racism within the players. But it, it, and I, w- I don't know exactly what was said there uh, in those moments. He, he obviously uh, knows it. He has got a, a track record of missteps. Uh, I, always, I always felt that he, looking at his teammates, how much they cared about him, that he had to be a, a decent guy. And that was at Liverpool. That was at Atletico Madrid. So I feel, and I know some people won't agree with it, and they're probably going to say, you know, screw that guy for what he's done. He doesn't. He's had many chances. He's had second chance, third chance. But I, I was, I, I was comforted to see that, and a guy who overcame so much to get it, and uh, I felt really good for him. Yeah, I felt good for him too because of the fact that this is a guy. He was crying when he left Barcelona. I, I think people forget that when they let. Yeah, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to retire. He was telling the press that he would essentially groom the next number nine if they brought in a young player and so he wanted to stay and finish his career at Barcelona and when they let him go like that he was hurt by that uh, free. I, I understand free yeah free tra- I mean for free they essentially Barcelona handed the title to Atleti <laughs> for free when you consider the, the difference set. I mean it's all there it's it, it, so much unbelievable information about how Atletico were able to pull this off yeah and and, and you mentioned his past he, he got the biting uh, he, I believe he said something anti-black racist to Patrice Evra. I think Evra should have handled it differently. I would tell some of my friends, if Evra grew up in Miami-Dade, this Uh-oh. wouldn't have been an issue because he would have checked Suarez right there on the spot. And then in the post-game, would be like, no, it's just two competitors, you know, talking trash to each other. But that's a different incident. Uh, I love that I, take. I love that take, uh, George. <laughs> I love it's a different like I'm, I'm just let's, let me just dive, dive, you know, go off the, the rails just a little bit here so I can explain this. If so, if if I'm, I'm a competitor, right, I'm a black man and a non black person says something racist to me on the pitch and it's Manchester United Liverpool, which we all know is a very heated rivalry. Right. If Evra, if if Suarez says something to me negative about me being black, which I'm sure he did because I just don't put it past him in that situation especially it's a moment where you're really heated heated emotions heightened tensions in my experience personal experience people who are not black in those moments of heated emotion and heightened tensions I wouldn't put a pass them to say something racist or anti-black so I think he said it now what Evra should have done and this is why I say he didn't grow up in the 305 because if Evra was a real G he would have said oh look at the score bitch we're winning the game you know, because that's what it was. They were winning the game. He says, oh, I'm black. You don't like black. Well, your wife likes it black. Like, that's what you say. That's how you respond. You, you say, look, I know a black dentist that could fix them ugly ass teeth. That's what you say in response. You don't you don't go and Yeah, you don't go to the F.A. and cry that someone called you a name. That's what my little nephew who's two years old does. You're a grown ass man. You say you come back at him with something that makes him looks ridiculous. And you know, Luis Suarez is not the brightest bulb in the box. You could look at him, he's almost dragging his knuckles. I mean, he's a great footballer, but let's, I mean, come on, he's not the brightest bulb in the box. The guy cheated to, to on an Italian exam so he could try to get to Juve. So, I mean, come on, how bright is he? But Evra has to outthink him and he didn't. Instead, he cried to the FA and created his controversy, which was completely unnecessary. When if he was a real man, he could have handled it himself. All right, now let's get back to the football. But I, just before I go on, and I think that diffuses these situations because it's like bang right back in your face. And you're like, whoa. Yes. You, you like went up he, the wrong tree, my friend. Exactly. Don't dish, it out, don't dish it out if you can't take it. You can't take it. Yes. It's like Donny Alves when he ate the banana. He could have easily just, you know, walked out. the. Oh, no, they're throwing bananas at me. No, no, no. But what did he do? He takes the banana, he eats it, and everybody yeah. thinks that he's a G. He's smooth and he's gangster with it, you know? But And that's... That's how we sometimes certain situations, you can't do it every situation, but sometimes that's how you have to handle it, you know? So there's that. But from a footballing perspective, I think Suarez is amazing. I've always admired his, his technique, his, the fundamentals of his techniques. And the fact that at 33 years old, he scores 21 goals for a team that, let's be honest, doesn't provide the same service that he would get for, from anyone at Barcelona. 
and help them win the league title. He was emotional leaving Barca and he's emotional helping Atleti win the title. You can make the argument he was the most valuable player in La Liga this season. So um, as a, on a footballing level perspective, I'm happy for him. He deserves it. He was mistreated at going out the door by Barcelona and Atleti found value in him and what he could do on the pitch for the team and and that that winning mentality throughout the course of the season it's a good era for old guys in this sport and i think yeah any sport, i watch tennis and i watch federer and nadal i go those guys aren't getting knocked off their perch anytime phil mickelson just won the pga championship at the age of 50 oh, he did i didn't even know who won he just oh, okay. Dude, he beat crazy. Rory McIlroy and them boys. He beat Brooks Kepka. It was bananas. He had these glasses okay. on. It looked like he was, uh, he, he was, I've, I've rarely seen an athlete this dialed in. He had the same look on his face. I only started watching Saturday and Sunday. He had the same look on his face the whole time. So locked in, didn't tilt his head. It looked like he was playing poker. He had glasses on, like he had a good hand <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'm not going to show my hand poker face throughout it. So, uh, and then, you know, awesome. Ronaldo, Ronaldo and Messi look like they have plenty left in their treads. Uh, Guys like Suarez and Cavani that we thought are probably over the hill, not that case at all. They look like they could play at least another five years. It's, it's truly remarkable. I want to just to backtrack a bit about Luis Suarez and uh, the situation. Well, when I was, I tweeted something about him and people had to push back and go, hey, this guy, he's this, that. And somebody said he cheated in the World Cup against Ghana yeah. with the hand. So he did an intentional handball. Yeah, I, which, I remember. I'm obviously not saying you, but to our audience, because I know some people. Right. So it's the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Intent: the ball's going to go into the goal. Ghana's going to—they're going to win this game. Luis Suarez puts his arm out, intentional handball. The ball doesn't cross the line. He gets a red card. Ghana goes and takes the penalty. It's saved. Uruguay ends up winning the game. To me, <laughs> I know cheating is not looked upon. You've got, but that is one of the great plays in World Cup history because of the result. You don't have yeah. to like it. Change the rules if you don't like it. But he knew, look, I'm going to I'm going to be thrown out of the game. My World Cup's over. Yeah. But it's if I can get this team to win because it still has to ball can't cross the line. He's going to miss the penalty and your team has to come back and it all happened. That's genius yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah, and and look, I I, t I remember I was watching that game with my mom. And first of all, it was huge because you're talking about a Af this was in South Africa. Ghana yes. was the, the the best African team in that World Cup. So they wanted an African team to make and, a really good run. And if run. they made the semifinals, and maybe they go even further, they would have, you know, they're in the discussion for best African team in World Cup history because no one, Absolutely. but African teams are still haven't gone to the semis or final. Obviously, you win it, that day is going to come. It could have been in 2010 if not exactly. for Luis Suarez. Right. But here's the thing. I remember that that play i was watching with my mom and you know it's a handball and there's you know there's the penalty and i said mom watch if he it's a smart foul if the guy misses it and i, I believe it was asamoah gian who took the penalty and he missed it we wouldn't be talking about this if asamoah gian makes the penalty it's very simple so i know a lot of good I, I remember afterwards i saw Ghanaians upset with luis suarez i'm like don't be mad at suarez be mad at your boy for missing the penalty <laughs> that's what you need to be upset with it's like for me uh, the similar situation for me personally is when we uh, I go back to my days as a hurricane. We were playing Ohio Ooh. State in the Fiesta. Yeah, Sorry, I know. Man. I know you're FSU. I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> but we were playing Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. And there was that that BS pass interference. And everybody on campus was like, oh, that was a bad call. That was a bad call. And we lost the game because of that. No, we didn't lose the game because of that. We lost the game because our defense gave up a fourth down and 16 first down conversion. This is the same situation. If you take care of those, those moments, then there won't be any controversy. You don't leave the door open for controversy. So SWAT is his handball. Like you said, it's a smart move because the man, the man still has to take the penalty. And Asamojian missed the penalty. Uruguay went on to the semifinal. So that, that's, that's how it goes. People need to be mad at the right people. There not, you go. Not at the, be mad at the right people. I'm mad at my defense, the hurricane defense for giving up a, a fourth and 17 conversion that cost us back-to-back -back national championships. I'm not mad at the, the, the stupid referee who made a bad call. We left the door open for the referee to make a bad call. You know, Ghana left the door open for Uruguay to advance by missing the penalty. College football talk is always welcome on this Soccer Ocean okay, podcast, cool. I will tell you. And we'll get into Florida State, Miami another time. 
<laughs> I think what I'm going to take away from our conversation is getting mad at the wrong, right people. People get upset at Luis Suarez. Like, no, Patrice Evers got to handle this better. And then the same yeah. thing with all of this. I, I, you know, look, if it's, it's what you're allowed to do within the, within those constraints, you do what you can. We, yeah. let, we'll put a bow on the Spanish uh, conversation, but just your thoughts. Atletico won this. This wasn't, uh, people will say Barcelona, Real Madrid is coming up. And I, and I, I tend to, I, I initially wanted to say that, but the way Atletico Madrid, after they let that 11 point lead disappear, uh, reacted in a way and got those results was, uh, that was one of the, the lasting images I'll take away from this European season, which is going to be, a, this is going to look very fondly upon Atletico because we're always going to remember this season. Last season was so interrupted as we got back from the pandemic, but this was kind of the first, we saw the gateway to fans coming back and some normalcy in not all the leagues, but some leagues. But I think history will be very kind to this season. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. When you consider, you mentioned, you know, with the pandemic, you mentioned the difficulties going on this season. It's hard for these players to play in empty stadiums without that energy of the fans. And I let the yes, they did blow a big lead, but in the end, they won the games necessary to hold off and win the championship. We talk about Luis Suarez. The last three goals he scored in La Liga this season, all of them were game winners. All of them got the three points for Atleti. So they came up, they, yeah, they blew a big lead, but when they needed to win or at least get a result, they did it. And look, they can't control the fact that Barcelona lost to Granada when Barcelona had a chance to get in the first place. That's not, you can't put, you can't use that against Atleti. They can't control the fact that Real Madrid lost to Levante or Cadiz, teams that they should be beating. You, that's not a, against Atleti. You can't use that against Atleti. Atleti can only play the teams that, they are, that are in front of them, and they can't worry about other results from their arch rivals or their rivals against other teams. So they, they took care of business, especially toward the end of the season. The last month, I believe they won four out of the last five, four in a row to end the season. So they finished strong, and they deserve to be champions. And, and for those of us who are neutral, it's good to see someone other than Barcelona or Real Madrid win the La Liga title. That that's really makes it more interesting for next year to see if Atleti can defend it. And then how will Real Madrid and Barcelona, what moves will they make with their either managers or, or transfers to catch Atleti for next season? But it's good to have someone other than Barcelona or Real Madrid win the La Liga title. It's been a good year for that across the board. And we'll talk about Lille winning the French title, Inter getting it in Italy, that is obviously a changing of the guard. Not Bayern still wins it in Germany, but you see some developments elsewhere, which I think is promising for the game at large. Uh, the English League and the Italian League wrapped up this weekend. We already knew who won it. It was going to be Manchester City and Inter. The question was, who finishes in the Champions League spots? So Leicester was in there in England, and then they lost two games in the final week after winning the FA Cup. I don't know what that FA Cup party was like, but apparently they went way overboard and <laughs> it cost them the Champions League, which I don't think is terrible. I've, I, I don't think they were going to do much in the Champions League. They obviously are disappointed, but they got the FA Cup, which you talk to the fans, they're probably better and happier about that than, than going to the Champions League, which seems a bit crazy, but that's more power to them and respect to the tradition of the FA Cup. So... You get in a year where you thought you might get Leicester going in there and you wouldn't have Juventus in the Serie A. All of a sudden, the cream rises. Liverpool, Chelsea join the Manchester clubs out of England. Juventus get in with Milan, Inter and Atlant Atalanta in the Serie A. Napoli. See, I mean, Leicester, I, I don't know who, I don't know who he'd be, who, who, who laid a bigger egg. Because Napoli were amazing down the stretch. They beat Spezia 4-1. to They beat Udinese 5-1. to They won at Fiorentina 2-0. And then they're beating Verona. And then they just let their guard down. Verona ties it. It drops them out of the top four. It gives Juventus. Because this was going to be a story. What happens to Juventus? Do they hit the reset button? Especially if they don't make the Champions League. Well, now they're in right. the Champions League. Now you say, okay, we get Cristiano Ronaldo can see out his final year of his contract. Play in the big competition. And that's huge relief. That's really important for Juventus. And to develop, obviously, an American perspective with Weston McKinney, tremendous. Uh, and they're obviously going to do, they're going to have to bring in some new players to be more competitive to close the gap with Inter in, the, in, in that league. But with, right. with Leicester falling out too, it's, it's, it's interesting. 
to see how these big clubs found a way in. And I think the rights holders across the world for Champions League have to be thrilled because they yeah. get the big boys. Because they'd rather obviously have Juventus and Liverpool and Chelsea than Leicester and then, Napoli. But right. uh, of all the things, though, that I, I think Liverpool's the most impressive to me, and I'll, I'll, you can get your thoughts on these two leagues. Uh, Juventus did what they had to do, but Liverpool in February lost at home to Brighton, lost at home to Everton, lost, lost at home to Man City, lost at home to Fulham. And I think Jurgen Klopp, no, some people, were, you know, the crazies were saying, yeah, he should, he should lose his job. Not many people. I thought he looked really worn out. And maybe it was time for him to take a sabbatical of some kind just to walk away. He didn't. And now in an injury-riddled season after they won the Premier League title, they, they get back in the Champions League. That is good coaching. Yeah, yeah. And what, they went, I think they finished the season, what, eight wins and two yeah, draws and, in their last 10 games, something like that. I mean, they went wins to lock it down, including right. the win over Manchester United, which was as you, well under the rescheduled. Yeah, and, and I think to your point, the cream rises to the top. They early on, Jurgen Klopp conceded the league to Manchester City. If I remember correctly, I got so caught up with La Liga and, and Liga that I kind of have to, you know, I had to check in every once in a while with uh, with the Premier League. So I'm not don't know too much, but I remember him kind of conceding the league to Manchester City. And I think when he did that and kind of focused on Champions League and then they went out early in the Champions League, I think that kind of, first of all, less. Uh, fixture congestion, because that's something that the, all the, but Jurgen Klopp has been very vocal about the fixture congestion in too many games and in too too small a time period. I think the fixture congestion spread it out. You mentioned the injuries, so they were able to get some players back, rest players, and they finished the season strong. It was good to see them back in the Champions League. And then Chelsea, look, how about Thomas Tuchel? What a job he's done. I thought it was strange they fired Frank Lampard middle of the season, but Tuchel was available. He didn't get along with the management at PSG too well. But he comes to Chelsea, young team that doesn't have the egos, the superstars that PSG does. He's able to get them to the Champions League final and into a top four spot in the Premier League as well. So he did an excellent job. And in the end, like you said, the cream rises to the top. Liverpool, Chelsea, they have that experience of making late runs. And I know Leicester City won the, the Premier League a few seasons ago, but that was with a different manager. And although, well, Brendan Rodgers is... He was second in Liverpool a few years ago as well, but that was a while. That was before Leicester City did that. So, um, but with that team, they just Liverpool and Chelsea. It seems like those big clubs, especially the big money clubs in England, it's in their DNA to make a late charge, especially when they know that they're not going to win the title, but it, but Champions League football is at stake. So, from from a distance, from what I saw, I think that was the case. And for Italy, Juve, look, I, I still don't know what they were thinking when they brought in Pirlo. I don't know why they thought he's, Pirlo was going to. He's not going to make it next season, right? They have the first thing I, they have to do is get a coach that has coached before. Right. I thought it was a mistake to get rid of Sadi because Sadi yes. had won the league. I, I, he won the league. It was only what his first or second season in charge, and he just got Ronaldo. So there's still an adjustment. I think people, maybe in modern football, expectations are too high too quickly, and it's like, oh, we bring him in, and the next year they have to win the Champions League. No, look at. PSG and Manchester City were bought out big investment. They still haven't won a Champions League. And it's been, what, eight or nine years since City was taken over by the, that conglomerate, 10 years for, for PSG. So it, it, there needs to be more patience. I thought Saudi was a decent manager. What he did with Napoli was amazing. And I don't think he was that bad with Chelsea either. They should have kept, stayed with Saudi, let him work it out, let him figure things out, be more patient. They were still getting the Champions League winning Scudetto. So getting into the Champions League was not an issue. You bring in Pirlo, who had no experience, and he almost messed it up for Juve. So uh, you have to give credit to, to the managers of Liverpool, Klopp and, Bren and um, Thomas Tuchel of Chelsea. And then for, for Napoli, uh, they just, like you said, that, that draw against Verona killed them, and Juve getting it, sneaking in. But I, th I think you're right. They're going to need a new manager, Juve. Uh, for next season and they might have to rejuve they they need to figure out what they need to do with Ronaldo and Dybala because Dybala was on trajectory to be Ballon d'Or I mean he was on they that don't, path they don't just they don't blend those two right on the field right yeah it, sometimes you know it happens yeah it does happen and you know what I think people need to start I, I said you know I just said but Dybala was on the path Ballon d'Or 
but he's had that issue with Messi on the Argentine national team too. So they, we might have to start questioning how the mentality of Paulo Dybala here and his place in world football, because he's a talented player who, I, like I said, has Ballon d'Or potential. But for whatever reason, it hasn't quite worked. I think it the downfall started when he took a picture with Rihanna, but that's just me. That's just me. But, you know, it's like PK when he married Shakira. You're not going to be the same. And, hey, I can't blame you either. If I'm married to Shakira, I'm not going to have the legs to play football either. But that's a different issue. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Hey, he's still a great center back. But, my God, how good – I mean, I mean, it's Shakira. Come on. I mean, she's gorgeous. But the point is – uh, we need to look at Dybala. Dybala needs to reevaluate himself when it comes to football because he was destined for greatness and something happened along the way and his career has taken a downslide and it's and it's not going to benefit Juve if he doesn't doesn't step up his game and perform better. Shakira is gorgeous and yes. talented, but she's also a huge star. And I can imagine that's got to wear on you when you want to see your wife. And yeah. here comes the stylist. Here comes the manager. Here comes the agent. Shakira, this, and you're like, everybody out of the house. Everybody yeah. out. Get out. Who are you? I'm the makeup artist. Yeah. I'm the hair. I'm like, no, everyone out. That's got to that's gotta wear thin very quickly. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, just to, as, as we move on, Maurizio Sadi, I agree with you, but there's something there that his – his reigns at some of these clubs are so brief. So he's got to be rubbing people the wrong way. So maybe he's got to look internally and say, Hey, all right, I'm going to do it a little differently. I don't know. Yeah, I don't great. know what said, but I look at that when like someone goes, I can't catch a break. I go, wait, this has happened a couple of times already. So maybe yeah. you can soften and the he, blow a little bit. And nobody, nobody hired him since he's been, he's been yeah. out of work since he left. So, I mean, I, you have a great point there. That's true. He, he might have to do some meditation or yoga and get his mind right. Yeah. Lay off the Nicorette gum. Like, oh, that'll a, help. Yeah. That'll he was a big a smoker yeah. in his day. You can see him chewing those gums. It drove me bananas, but it was something yeah, to watch. <laughs> uh, really, quickly about uh, Leicester City, uh, I, I thought they were in already. And then to lose to Spurs on the final game, four to two, which was, you know, that was really bad. They, they have the talent. They develop the talent. They sell the talent. They, they make the money. They bring the money back into the coffers of the club. Uh, and then to end it like this is a real downer because if they won, and Chelsea, who stubbed their toe, gets knocked out. All of a sudden, Thomas Tuchel's been great, but he loses the FA Cup. Chances yeah. are he loses the uh, Champions League final, but we, we don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's a good matchup for them. And then if he doesn't make the Champions League, all of a sudden it's like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. This mm. party was going great. Now we're now we've been yeah. they threw us out. <laughs> Party's yeah. over. Party's over. Yeah, and you're not invited, Mister Tuchel. You can go back to. <laughs> Go back to Dortmund or wherever you you know the the club you managed before you went to PSG. Yeah, it's I mean it, it these just the, the, these little moments throughout the course of the season can turn an entire that entire energy of a season for a manager in a club. It, it's it's amazing, and uh, I mean let's see what happens in the Champions League final with Tuchel. But I think he needs he came mid season also, just like obviously Pochettino replaced the mid season at PSG. So maybe he needs an off season, a transfer window. We know that. Uh, Roman Abramovich is not afraid to spend money with all he spent on Timo Werner and Zayic and, and, and Pulisic. So we'll see. I think next season, if they get the right players, if they got Thiago Silva on the free, which is huge. comes his leadership and his defensive organization is critical. But next season coming up, what are they making? The, what are they doing to transfer and how Tuchel um, implements his philosophies and how they respond, I think are, is going to be crucial. He deserves at least one more full season Absolutely. with Chelsea before he really gets, gets harshly criticized. And, and I, I, I say, I said otherwise, but I think he has a, a good shot against Man City. I think with preparation and the, the way he can grind out results, the way the team plays collectively, I think it's, it's not going to be an easy day for Manchester City, but we shall see. Uh, yeah. And we know, we know you covered Ligue 1 and an incredible story uh, with um, Christophe Galtier and Luis Campos, who's the technical director, and put this all together. They've actually won now their fourth title. They won one recently, but this is amazing because no one thought anyone would take away the title from PSG, who weren't as clinical as they had been in past years, and Lil sees the opportunity. But this is a real celebration of, of a club and finding the players, giving guys second chances, and building them up. T to me says that Lil are going to be able to do this long-term. I had Eric Krakauer, one of your colleagues there at BN on there, and he said, prepare for Lil to have a real bad season coming up. Obviously, players are going to be sold. Playing in the Champions League is an extra burden. We've seen clubs wilt under that pressure. 
Uh, I mean, all these guys, uh, Sven Botman is, is a target as a defender. Renato Sanchez, who was almost given up on, and goes yeah. to Lille and breathes life back into his career. Now, Jose Mourinho wants him at Roma. Jonathan David, mm-hmm. the Canadian striker, is on short list at Manchester United, among other clubs, because he scores wow. a lot of big goals. And, and then Bubakari Sumade, Jonathan Bamba, all these guys who are high valuation. Now, that's money back in the club. I wonder how many guys they sell and how many they keep. I tend to think this is a club that does it the right way, and they'll be okay, even though Eric felt like there won't be. And I, I listened to him because obviously you guys covered a lot closely. But I'm curious, and I don't want to just – just gloss over the fact that of this incredible feat they did, but I want them to have staying power, but I'm curious if getting to the top of the summit was so challenging that it could lead to a pretty sharp fall. So Eric said that next season, they're going to have a bad season or he said that next next season, season. next season, when the season starts, they'll be short some players. And uh, uh, I think he said there was like some financial issues too. So I was curious, but I didn't know enough, but I was like, Oh, I was like bummed out to hear it. But I mean, maybe there's something there. We've seen it before. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a possibility, especially when you consider that there's rumors that Christoph Gautier might not be the manager next season. He, it, it, In all likelihood, he might be gone as manager of Lille. And you mentioned Jonathan David and what he's, the value he's going to have. Sven Botman, they have some young, any one of the three Jonathans. I call him the Trois Jonathan, like the Trois Mosquetel. You know, it's Ikone, Ba, and David. All of them are under 25 years old. I think Ikone is the oldest, if I remember correctly. But all three of them are very good. Uh, tremendous playmakers. They've, they can finish their chances. Not high-volume goal scorers, but great playmakers, good dribblers of the ball. And obviously, David is a, is a uh, finisher. I call him David because he's Haitian. He, he grew up in Canada and he David? plays in France. You can say David, too, because I, I heard he wants to be called David. David sounds a lot better. It, it comes down to what he wants, but David sounds a lot better, quite David. frankly. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's Haitian. I'm Haitian. I call him David. So there we go. But um, <laughs> what is it? I mean, we've seen a lot of I mean, there's a lot of Haitian players that have gone to the NFL. And have you seen uh, the name? And most like Jean-Pierre, uh, Pierre Paul. Oh, yeah. Um, Jonathan Paul, Vilma. Vilma, William Joseph. William Joseph. Yeah. Oh, uh, William Joseph. He was list. he played. He was. Uh, yeah, he was uh, with the Giants for a while. Uh, as of someone, seen, I'm Haitian. Have you seen the butchering of the French language with, with a, something that, I mean, I, I guess the Americanization of a last name, of a French name that uh, maybe classifies like Jonathan David, which sounds so much better than Jonathan David. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it before. Um, like, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like, one, too. I know there was one. Pierre uh, that, Paul. Um, who, oh, Pierre Paul in English. You can Jason, say that. Jason okay. Pierre Paul. Jason Pierre Paul. And yeah, that guy's enormous. Like that. So whatever he says to call him, you call him that. <laughs> He's yeah, like exactly. Six, yeah. Four, 280. He don't uh, have all his fingers on his hand, but he's still he's still a beast. You know, I'm sorry. You know, he had, he had the fireworks accident a couple years ago on New Year's that, you know, but he's he still back. a great player. Yeah. I, I think he was with Tampa when they won the Super Bowl, if I remember yes, correctly. So this year. Yeah. And, and people said player. people said losing a finger for a defensive lineman is is a death sentence. It kills, it kills your balance. And I was like, wow, this is really bad. But he, he overcame all that. So yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. But, oh, but, but uh, back to Lille, uh, Champions League football, they're going to sell. If the prices are right, they're going to sell. Look, the year before last, they sold Nicolas Pepe to Arsenal. Before that, or it might've been the same season, they Ossiman, sold Victor Osimhen yeah. to Napoli. It wouldn't surprise me. Look, the only French club that, is aggressive, making big money, buys is PSG. Lyon, Lille, Monaco, they're, they're all, Marseille, they're all going to sell players if the price is right. So I wouldn't be surprised if Lille sell those, those players and then obviously take a hit in the Champions League and maybe finish mid-table. It was a similar situation with Rennes coming into this season. And Rennes had made it, they didn't win the title, but they made a run to get in the Champions League. They were obliterated in the Champions League group and then they struggled. They lost their manager mid midseason, Julien Stefan, and then they wind up finishing, I think, in top half. I wouldn't be surprised if Lille go that route as well. But Luis Campos, Campos, sporting director, he's clever. He's very clever. You saw Which, what he did with do Monaco. Think, do you think someone might come for him? I mean, a big club and say, "This is your." I mean, big club comes with a lot of pressure and and a lot right. of hands in your pockets. You going, "Hey, do this," and they go, "No, no, no, no," because I'm sure Lille say, "You're the man in charge." Mm-hmm. Player player decisions extra, outside of the coach, you're in charge. You confer with him, and you make those decisions. Yeah, I, I think I think Lil will try to do whatever they can to keep him. 
He's the most important piece. (laughs) He sure is. He sure is. He's, I mean, what he's done for Monaco, he was the architect of that Monaco team that won the league on title and then got to the semifinals of the Champions League. With Mbappe and... uh, Exactly. Well, half of Manchester City, it seems like, from Monaco with Fabinho, Bernardo Silva, and... uh, and Monaco, Monaco have come back, but man, they sold everybody off that team. It was like, bang. They sure did. They sure the did. Is. That had to have been close to half a billion dollars of transfers. I think so. I think so. Between Bernardo Silva, Mbappe, Fabinho. Uh, there was, Mendy, uh, was, it, was it? I think, uh, was it? No. yeah, Benjamin, it might have been Benjamin Mendy. Not Fernand, yeah, Fernand. Right. No, but yeah. and he hasn't panned out, but he, he hasn't panned out. But the next, they still paid top dollar big, for him. Big money for him. Joao, uh, was it Joao Moutinho and there was. was another somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a team. I think was on that team too. My <laughs> goodness, what a squad. Yeah. It was an amazing squad that Leonardo Jardim was the manager. So uh, Luis Luis Campos has that that capacity of building a team and doesn't really need a big budget to do it. And I think that's where he's he where Lille, if they sell those players, he's going to use that money wisely and keep the and keep the team competitive. I don't think they'll have a terrible season next year, but fourth or fifth place is is reasonable for them if they sell all their big players. If not. Then maybe they can make a run again at the at the Liga title. What a memory on you, George! That's fantastic. It just comes flowing back. That's how I know you're not as old as I am because I'm like, oh, uh, what? Uh, <laughs> uh, what was that game? I did it like two hours ago. I can't remember. Anyways, uh, it's, I do uh, a lot of Lumosity. That's what it is. I have the Lumosity account. There you go. I need so. to get on on that, man. Hey, Luminosity it's wants good. to. Do- they want to do an advertising thing. I'll use your product. My memory gets better. Hey, everyone's happy. Mm. Uh, I love the Ren uh, the comparison because that really playing the Champions League just under undermined yeah. their campaign. They kept a lot of their players, and you thought I thought they would do much better, and they mm-hmm. they fell horribly flat. Okay, yep. Let's talk. Let's talk South America. Cause we, woo, yeah, full uh, uh, transparency. We have a th- a text thread with a couple of guys. Juan Arango's on it, and we always talk. And Juan's giving us all this great information about, uh, I go, dude, I get better information to you than anywhere I find on the internet. So much appreciated. He's the man with that. He's the man. He told me the Copa America was leaving uh, Colombia hours before I heard it anywhere else. So he has this information, Uh, but I don't want to, I mean, he's not scooped. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to do that. But uh, so we talk about it a lot and what's going on in South America is, if you haven't paid much attention, it is horrific in so many ways. The COVID pandemic is as bad as it's been there now as it's been at any point. Interestingly, the Copa America was moved out of Colombia, and now it was going to be co-hosted by Argentina and Colombia. Colombia now it's in Argentina. In Colombia, there is these massive uh, protests against the government. Last I checked, at least 42 dead in these protests. people are angry and emotional and upset. And obviously they focus a bit on, on on football. They go, we, there's more important things in football. And then Comebol does this kind of this thing. It says, all right, we're just going to do it in Argentina. And now Comebol has had the show go on at all costs. I'm happy because I like to watch the game, but it doesn't seem like they're maybe operating with the best intentions all the way. It's about, we're getting the games in, we're getting the games in. And again, it's, 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 I see how it affects my Colombian friends and folks in South America. And I wonder maybe it's time to back away. We, we, I did the river plate game last week. They had 20 positive COVID cases. Enzo Perez, who's a midfielder ended up being the goalkeeper. Wow. One after the other, Argentina is getting around 30,000 new cases of COVID every day. They're going into another lockdown, which everything's going to be closed until May the 30th. And then they're going to have the Copa America there in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> and they like, canceled they canceled the semifinals of the uh, Copa de la Liga Profesional because of the outbreak, because of the situation there. They canceled the local tournament as well. And this may be, this is probably insensitive, George, but I, more than anything, I'm just impressed how they've been able to get all these games. I thought for sure the Copa America would not be contested. And here we are. They're still getting stuff thrown at them left and right, and the tournament is still standing. It's like... It's like the Terminator. You, you throw a, a bomb, uh, and then he just walks out of the smoke and keeps coming. It's like Comey Bowl, Arnold one, Schwarzenegger. But, but, oh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was going to ask you which one, Arnold Schwarzenegger or the liquid one? But I with, think the uh, liquid one, yeah, because there's no way okay. he's coming back. And then he, he reconfigures in a, in a pool of silver, whatever. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just never – and I think at the end I go, I'm amazed they've been able to keep this going. 
back, I think it was in February, one of the greatest cases of foresight was Australia and Qatar saying, we're not going to go to the Copa America. They were the two uh, uh, invitees. That decision looks better and better every day because it gets worse and worse in South America. And I can imagine if those uh, national teams were preparing to go to Argentina right now, they'd be like, oh, man, oh. this is – I don't want to go. So thankfully that's off the table for them. But the other 10 members are going. All the big stars from South America are going. Lionel Messi says he's going to take a rest here so he can get ready for the Copa America. The big stars are going, and this thing is going to happen. <laughs> Barring Argentina sinking into the Pacific Ocean, it's going to happen. I don't happen. know. I, I am shocked. I really am shocked. First of all, we've had, what, like four Copa Americas in six years or something like that? Because yeah, We could have we missed one. <laughs> yes, yes, because BN, we had the 2015 edition, and then the next year in 2016 was a Centenario, and then they went four years, and then they had it in Brazil in, was it 2020? or No, it was in 2019, I believe. They had it in Brazil. And now we're having another one? I mean, like, my goodness, I, I'm with you. They could, uh, we've, we, I put it in the chat that we have, that in 20, they should postpone it till 2024, because, well, and, and we know that's not going to happen because the sponsors have put too much money and all of this. I this is where the players they need some kind of union to say look we're not going to participate in this you can't have a Copa America without the players this it's really ridiculous it, it really is ridiculous that they're going to put it in Argentina and you mentioned the numbers with the cases we mentioned the fact that the local tournament has been postponed because of it I I, I just don't understand it. it it appears to me they're putting football ahead of human life and that's just not right. That's just not right at all. But I guess if the sponsors pay, you got to play. This is going to be a tournament for TV. So to entertain everyone at home and everyone's going to watch it and they're going to appreciate it. And I want to watch it. Right. And it, but it's, it's sometimes yeah, when you get so much thrown at you eventually, and it's so late in the game for them to cancel it now, which is not going to happen would Right. You would say, why don't we do this sooner? The, 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 the writing was on the wall, but it's pushed through. But it's an interesting thing you say about the players because through all of this, through Super League protests, through uh, COVID quarantines, pandemics, now this, the Copa America, you know, everything goes on. Uh, now, you know, the uh, FIFA saying, hey, all of our, all but 20 of our members want a World Cup every two years. It's never, we're going to huh. check with the players, you know, because guess what? <laughs> but you know, we don't hear them voice it. And it would be right. refreshing for one guy, look, Every now and then, but one guy, I'm not doing it. I'm not going because this is ridiculous. They're not thinking about us. And say it was Lionel Messi or Luis Suarez or someone. And he goes, I'm not going. That's it. This is ridiculous. Someone else can go. And then, but make sure your voice is heard where people know why you're making this decision and see if it has a snowball effect. But we never do that. Right. And, and I'm, not, I'm not faulting the players at all. This is a tough situation. And if I was them, I'd put my head down. I'd go from point A to point B, make my money, uh, represent my country, and come home, put my feet up, and retire at an early age, whatever it takes. But at some right. point, it's screaming for it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And it, all it takes is one. Sometimes, I mean, in school, you just needed that one person to say, no, I'm not going to do it. And then everybody follows them because they just needed that one person to be bold enough to to to, to make that statement so imagine if Lionel Messi says I'm not participating in Copa America because of this COVID my goodness I mean the rest of the Argentine team would say okay I'm not participating Luis Suarez in Uruguay would say I'm not participating and then that as you mentioned it's a snowball effect so I, that would be huge but I think also affecting the the Conmebol is the fact that there's a Euro this summer there's a Gold Cup this summer and I think they're thinking maybe you know we we need we need to be relevant here we can't mm. we can't be silent and absent while the other two big confederations are having their their continental tournaments go on as well so i wonder if that has something to do with the decision to keep to to have the copa america go on this summer if that's the reason you're doing it then that's a pretty bad sad reason but hey they they're they're, <laughs> they're the ones in charge they're making it but i wouldn't be surprised if the euro and the gold cup have are are the fact that those tournaments are going on is playing into the minds of the organizers of Copa America. I hope that's not the case, but I, I wouldn't I hope, hope so. It I agree. Them. It kind of, yeah. it, it is, it's about ego. It's about a lot of these things. And I go, they're going, we have the best players in the world. 
arguably. I mean, obviously Europe, I think so, but we have the right. biggest star and we have these other guys that could fill it. It's going to be a competition and people are going to watch. So yeah, it's not far fetched. Yeah. George, Metellus, yeah. you have been fantastic here, but I want to talk about something that I, 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 I always want to say being a, a black journalist in the sport of soccer particular. Okay. It's, and this is usually a, it's a back and forth, but I want to get your thoughts on it because when I look at the sport, huge participation of black athletes, no question in the U S national team from, from the perspective we have here in the U S uh, through, throughout every league, um, not the same with coaches, not mm. the same with executives and we're broadcasters and clearly not the same with broadcasters. And I, I know from what I've spoken to you, not many doors were open for you for any reason. You've really earned your spot and, and done this, but is there something we have to be aware of and do, are there a way to find good candidates to talk? Because it's not just for, for me giving um, a, a, a black candidate an opportunity, but also uh, because they're big fans, because they're involved in it, because they're playing the game, that's perspective that we need to have as well. I mean, I don't even know the right way to, I, I'm just curious because I don't think we're doing enough job, uh, doing enough job, good enough job. And I want to see where we can improve. Uh, that's a great question. I think one thing I've learned over the last, let's say, four or five years is that, you know, if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. So I've become someone who say, look, black people, if we want to be more involved in football broadcasting, then we got to get our numbers up. You know, I mean, and I'm not equating the, you know, black footballer, black broadcasters to the civil rights movement. I'm not going to make that equation, but I will say this. When those people in the 60s and 70s or 50s, 60s and 70s fought for the rights, they didn't just sit around and say, well, we got to, we're going to wait for someone. They came together and then made it happen. They, they knocked down the doors. They forced the change, but they did it with numbers. We don't have that many numbers. In America, even though soccer is a, it's, it's the most, there are more numbers of, it's the biggest participatory, participatory sport in America. Might not be the most popular, but more kids are playing it than any other sport. Of all walks so, of life. Uh, of all walks every... of life, exactly. Yeah. So we as, as black people, we need to start saying, okay, well, how can we get into it? How can we get into it? So we need more numbers behind it as well. If we get more numbers, then we could start to break down more barriers. I always feel like I'm a little bit of an anomaly because I came up in a in in Miami with Gold TV and now we'll be in sports. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. Miami, well, you know this because you grew up down here in Miami. Miami's not like the rest of America. Okay. In my experience, I've been hired by Latinos in both occasions. And you're very Latino savvy. And you, I mean, you hear in your broadcast, you do it 100% right. due diligence, uh, the language, the culture, you bring that all into your broadcast, which is important right. because it's, I hear it and it makes a difference as a listener when I hear it. Right. And it's, I mean, I'm, I grew up down here, obviously with, with the culture and the, and my, my, I'm Haitian, but my mom and dad lived in Spain. So I grew up in Miami learning Spanish, the culture, you know, I have friends, you know, so that's important. I don't know, and, and I'm gonna say something here, might be a little controversial. I don't know if I would have this opportunity if Gold TV or being sports was in Chicago or Delaware or in Tennessee or in Wyoming or someplace like that. I don't know if I would have had that opportunity if white Americans were running the show compared to Hispanic people who in Miami, that's where the, the culture and the the, demographics are more diverse so there's that aspect to it and and look i have to be honest if i didn't have the knowledge of that latino culture you I, I, yeah you probably had the gig i wouldn't be here i wouldn't yeah. yeah i wouldn't have a gig i wouldn't be talking to you i'd be i'd be running the front desk of a, of a hotel right now because that's part of it look talent it only takes you so far you still have to be able to impress people with things that are not that don't have anything to do with talent my first job interview for when I was at Gold TV, I did it in Spanish. And I had to prove, and the guy who hired me, he's a really nice man, and he was from Uruguay. He had a picture on his on his wall of the Nacional logo. And I knew ah, that, and I knew that Peñarol, 
Yeah, and I brought yeah. it up because I knew Peñarol was the the arch rival of Nacional, and I I was I'm I'm officially a Peñarol fan because they used to have a Haitian player that played there. Jean Jacques Pierre played for Peñarol, so I made a joke with him about it. He liked me, and that's how it got started. Because you know this part of the interview process or getting a job is at some point everybody's credentials are about the same. So it's how do you perform in the interview? He liked me. He, he, he saw that I had the, the knowledge, the language skills, the personality, and I got hired and that just, and then my career took off from there. So uh, it, it requires a level of cultural knowledge, especially when you're talking about football, football broadcasting. And I think we as black Americans or, or even black Islanders, cause my family's Haitian, obviously, we need to, we need to get to that. We need to understand that, that level. At the same time, we can't be upset because it's, because look, it's not fair. People, everybody who got hired at being after me didn't have to go through the audition process that I had to go through. I went through the most rigorous audition process of anyone you've ever seen on air at being sports that, that wasn't a former athlete. Everybody you see on the air that's the on air talent reporter, journalist, presenter, they didn't have to go through the audition process that I did. I had the prompter cut out on me. I had the lights in the studio turned out on me. I had, I did it with another person. I was essentially competing with this guy, Adam Hunt, I think was his name. I don't remember because I destroyed him in the audition. You know, <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, don't, I don't remember Boom. who I beat. You know, exactly. I hit, that's a three at the buzz, buzzer there by Steph. But um, nobody else had to go through that. And I'm not someone who thinks that, oh, this happens to me. Everything that happens to me is because I'm black. No, because that's not how the world works. And that's not how I was raised. But sometimes you have to go... Hmm. And you have every right. It's a to. possibility. Yeah, it's the possibility at least. But just, that's just the numbers would suggest that when you look at uh, yeah. these opportunities. But like you, what you said about the cities makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's not huge. that they're not, they're not being they're not avoiding it. It's just it's easy. It's like all right, here right. this guy. I know this. All right, he fits. Works easy for me. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Yeah, you know, I'm always saying that I'm a little bit lucky that I was in the right place at the right time and knew the right people to get to this position. So uh, for people like me, it's just getting numbers. And then, excuse me, I always tell people who want to get, they say, George, how did you get into What do you have to do? What do you have to do? I said, look, you have to do three things. One, take public speaking, please. Take public speaking. Two, prepare to learn a culture and a language that's not your native culture. Because First of all, it doesn't hurt. You know, you become a, a better, well-rounded person when you learn a culture that's not your native culture. My native culture is, and language is Kale in English because I'm Haitian and American. But learning Spanish helped a whole lot. It doesn't hurt. You know, so prepare to learn a, a foreign language and another culture. And then just be professional and, and serious when you have to prepare and, and know your stuff. That's probably, you know, those three things will, will make your life easier. But... And when it comes to getting those numbers up, I think we, as just people who look like me, we just need to get more involved in everything from the, the direction, producing, editing, all of that stuff, get the numbers flooded in and then, and go from there and then just be patient. Cause look, you're going to deal with, I've had racist stuff said to me in social media. I've had coworkers that I'm not my on-air colleagues, but coworkers say racist stuff to me in the office and for the sake of keeping my job, I had to swallow my tongue and bear it because I didn't want to get, excuse my language here, like Charlie Murphy said on, on Chappelle show, I didn't want to get niggerish. You know what I'm saying? I had to be calm and relaxed and, and, and do my job because when you're the only black person, everything you do gets magnified. If every yes. mistake I make gets magnified, even, even in the positive things I do, sometimes it gets magnified, sometimes it doesn't. But when you make a mistake or you get loud in office, everybody knows about it. So there's a, a level of restraint, patience, you know, yoga, breathing, whatever you have to do to calm down. You have to do that because it's just not going to be fair. And, you know, I'm, I'm running a hundred meter race. And in my lane, I have a six foot hurdle. I got a crocodile pit. I got landmines and I got nasty rabbit dogs. And I have to still get to the finish line for someone who just has a two foot hurdle. They have to go over and I have to do all of that and still be calm and composed and, and do my job and professional and have the knowledge. It's hard, but that's just the way it is. That's just life as a black person in America, in the world, you deal with it, you get stronger for it. And then 
hopefully you get to be on a, you do well enough where you're on a soccer OG podcast. So this is a beautiful thing. Yeah. But George, <laughs> that's how it works. George, that's a fantastic answer because look, we, we know the, the hurdles, as you said, have been put in front of you and some of them they are really tall and they're impossible to scale, but to do things that you can control that can help you in that audition, the interview process really goes a long way. And I, you know, when I heard you say that thing about the Nacional, I remember when I was at ESPN and I walked in this coordinated producer, when you walk into to do a job, they know you want this job, that you're uncomfortable because you're asking for this job. But if you can find those little things to put everyone at ease, it's a game changer. So I saw yes. a photo of Joe Namath on the back. I catalog everything. Okay, Jets, Jets, I sit down. Are you a Jets fan? He goes, yeah. I go, man, four and 12. What do you think they're going to do in the draft? He lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, we need a defensive lineman, but we need cornerback. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I have a relationship. So those little things. So walking mm-hmm. in a room and notice stuff, that's a small part of it. But obviously there's more that has to be done to help the candidates. And I know, yeah. I think Miami is the launching point because uh, the Caribbean is where soccer is king. And obviously Haiti, where you're from, yep. Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago. And every I run into so many folks that are involved in soccer. I, I mean, I did work the ESPNFC. I went to St. Kitts and Trinidad once, and people recognize me. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, ESPNFC. That's cool. But it's it's. I think we have we got to look there as well as a, and we I mean with you and Shaka Hislop at FC and there's there's the folks in the Caribbean are a big part of the American presentation. I'd right. love to see maybe some of those responsibilities deferred and then maybe help get the numbers up in some way. Yeah. Uh, because it has to be, I think we have to, just to be involved in soccer, um, which in this inner cities is not really a, a sport that's played. Is that safe? Fair to say where, you know, other sports are picked uh, above oh, the yeah. board, but then to where we can get oh, yeah. that, a game in there where someone goes, I want to be a player or I want to be a broadcaster. I want to be a coach. So, right. Yeah. And, and look in the inner cities where in predominantly black neighborhoods, not every kid is going to grow up to be six foot six and have a jump shot. Not every kid is going to be, fast enough to play American football where they could be a running back or big enough to be a defensive back. And, and I mean, you know, this max and everybody out here listening knows this, the beauty of soccer beauty of football is that you can be Diego Bonanote five foot three Messi's what five, six, five, seven. And he's the most dangerous player on the pitch. He puts the, the fear of God into everyone on the pitch. And he's my nephew is taller than him. And my nephew's 10 years old, you know, or my niece is 11 years old and she's taller than me- or the same height as Messi. But Messi is just destroying people. It, U.S. soccer, I mean, look, we need the numbers, but I've always said U.S. soccer does a poor job of promoting the game in these neighborhoods. If you tell an inner city kid, okay, your son has talent, we're going to send him to the IX Academy in Netherlands and, I don't know, pay him $150,000 a year. You think they, uh, uh, they, the uh, child's parents won't take that? They'll take that. So, and I mean, they, they do it all over the world. They do it in Brazil, Uruguay, all these, you know, they do that. So I think that, that obviously we get the numbers up, but we also, U.S. soccer has to kind of meet black people or poor. It's because it's, it's really a socioeconomic thing, a poor, yep. poor or lower class thing. They need to meet halfway and be, and look, promote the game. I grew up in Miami. Miami is a huge American football talent hub, Right. And they have a NFL youth center in the heart of Liberty City, which is one of the the ghettos, one of the hoods in Dade County. They have an NFL youth center in the middle of the of Liberty City. U.S. soccer can't find a park or a yeah, youth center no to kidding. do the same thing. I mean, and it's not that. And we know U.S. soccer has money. And if not, you get one of these clever people to to get sponsors to get the land or what have you, or to to build up that area. And I'm telling you, we could get U.S. soccer. And I, and I think it really is affecting the national team, too, because that development, let's say, look at the U.S. basketball team. The U.S. basketball team is the best every year. They either win the gold medal or get to the gold medal game. And the women's national team is more dominant than the men, if we're going to be honest. Why do they do that? Because basketball is promoted in these poor black neighborhoods. If soccer, U.S. soccer did the same, United States, if they had done that, started that 50 years ago, U.S. would have won at least two World Cups by now. Wow. So it's 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 halfway. We need to get the numbers up as a community, be more aware of other options. And at the same time, U.S. soccer has to meet us halfway and say, hey, let's start promoting the game in these areas as well. It's 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 a 50 50 meeting in the middle when it comes to the game. And then, like you said, 
okay, some some kids, maybe they're not good enough to play, but they have a talent to talk about it. And so they could be a broadcaster. And then that's how that develops as well. And and MLS is expanding. So that means you have more teams and more cities so they could use the broadcaster. So, I mean, it's there's a lot of potential there, but ultimately it comes down to what our people, my people, black people, how we're going to build the numbers going forward and kind of crash the gates to make more opportunities behind the scenes and in front of the camera, make it happen. It's a big job, but we need more George yeah. Matelos out there leading the way. Man, you were fantastic, George. Man, I love chatting with you. We'll do it again soon. Uh, Thank I you. Appreciate I appreciate you having insight. me on. Oh, for, for sure. And uh, George Matelos, you can catch him on. It's M-E-T-E-L-L-U-S. So you can catch him on his social media right. accounts. And you can see they got the, the man is the goods. We'll be back here on the Soccer OG. We'll be talking about stoppage time where I put a bow on the European soccer season. That's next. Went a little bit long there in the business end, so no stoppage time this week. Just a reminder, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for your support. Placido Domingo.